Welcome back to Mox Madness. All right. We are back. We are doing it uh, yet again. We're doing doing it, again. it again. Doing it again. Back in the saddle, as it were. Um, we're Mark's Madness Pod. We read books. And the book we're reading is Black Reconstruction. There, uh, David, current events, nothing, nothing worth talking about, really? Um, <laughs> nothing worth talking about. So, um, not, not anything we have to do huge current events on. Of course, you've got, uh, uh, Myanmar, um, slash Burma. The, the name's up in the air, and I'm not really sure which one's more colonial or not, because the rename of the AMR was supposed to be a decolonial thing, because the Brits originally named it, it Burma, but also, you know, the, the Burmese people, when they had a Soviet Socialist Republic, called it the Burmese Soviet Socialist Republic, and it was renamed Myanmar from the, the color revolution assholes who are now getting cooed. Um, but that that's a huge world event that enough not enough attention is being paid to and it seems like the united states is not very happy so hooray for that uh but by the same token you know the the general that's done the coup was the one that put down the um oh i'm trying to remember the the communist party that had the uprising um in 2008 that that he was he kind of made his hay you know helping put down that that uprising so i don't know the character of the new leaders there to know if that's a a a good thing or a neutral this is definitely not a bad thing in a major major world event burma slash myanmar is definitely on the we're we're keeping an eye on it and as we get more this is one of those things where you can make snap you gotta look out you gotta you yeah you gotta be careful the thing I, I need to warn at, okay, is 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 it's a good or a neutral thing, and it's beyond our, it's out of our hands, okay. Yeah, you know, it's not something for deposing. us to even pass judgment on one way or another. Really, it's just to understand. Yeah, it, it, it's a it's a color rev government um, that that's been around since the the late eighties. Uh, that was horribly repressive to like you know Rohingya Muslims and and other ethnic groups in there, um, but. You know, the, the coup comes from kind of inside there. And so it's a matter of what character the coup has. The biggest thing is, is there's going to be some narrative about China orchestrating. So you're either going to not hear about it at all, which seems to be the case, or you're going to hear about China orchestrating it, which I'm sure is, is going to come up, you know, in sooner or later. Just really China is not orchestrating it like the, the fucking, they don't do the CIA bullshit. They're, they're not into <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, so don't they're not a china puppet or whatever the fuck you'll hear it's 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 maybe a good thing at worst a, a nothing burger that some people who suck got got ripped out of power replaced by other people who suck but whatever you know at least there's some comeuppance um but it's definitely not like a china orchestrated do whatever they want thing uh and then of course the other thing is is the farmer strikes are are obviously still happening in in India and yeah. they're facing police repression and and they're facing you know uh fascism from the RSS out there but they're still going strong so kudos to that so those are major world events to Isn't there also a minor minor color rev thing going on in Russia? Oh god the Nalvani shit oh yeah. my god do we need to do we need <laughs> do to people- do people need to be kept up to speed? Okay, so Alexei <laughs> Nalvani quick, is a white quick. supremacist. Just, just a straight up, like, just a straight up fascist. There's, there's no two ways about it. Okay, he called Muslims cockroaches that need to be exterminated. He bitches about like, what if the immigrants come into their good, you know, Russian ethnic society and they, they must be cast. The outsiders need to be cast out. He is an overt fascist, and. All of the the liberal media is, of course, going to whitewash. And he's not the the second runner up in elections, by the way. Putin's primary um, opposition is Mm -hmm. the Communist Party there. Right. And and there are Communist Party people. What's that? Yeah, the international. Uh, there are Communist Party members who, of course, you know, get arrested. Right. I mean, there's trans women, Communist Party members in, in Russia who get thrown into men's prisons in regular protests that don't necessarily, you know, want to overturn the government with the threat of the U.S. coming in, but certainly want to make things better. They're regular protests to push for policies. And those either get hijacked or they get drowned out by these color rev uh, protests where some some largely astroturf um, you know, fascist groups go around and, and punch the shit out of cups trying to get a reaction they can get on video of police repression um, to, to try to like sell to the world to try to get outsiders in. I mean, it is, it is a textbook 
color revolution. Someone who is not who would not have won an election um, is saying they're boycotting the election that they would have obviously lost because of election fraud to say they should have been won. Um, someone is, is trying an uprising and gets, of course, arrested because that's how a country, good or bad, is going to manage sedition. And then it's they're a political prisoner. Oh, my God. And we need, you know, the eyes of the world are watching shit. I mean, it is a textbook color Seems, revolution. Am I wrong to say that it's very much, it, it feels very much in the same beats as Belarus when this happened in Belarus earlier in yes, the year. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Sort of the situation yeah, I mean, where it's again, like, by by saying that this by saying that this feels like a color revolution and likely is a color revolution, because then the next step is, oh, well, you're just loving Putin and this, that, and the other. And it's yeah. Like, there's yeah, and first th- off, if you so much as like defend America, not annihilating Syrians, you're accused of loving Putin. I mean, let's let's yeah. be real here. That's that's something you're just bullshit. You're just going to deal with. But on top of that, we've talked about like going, you know, oh, Putin's not perfect, and I'm not an actual Putin fan. Da, 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 da. Mm, Isn't no. really useful nuance, even if it's true. Even if I think you know Putin sucks, he's not as bad as some other world leaders out there even if he sucks absolute ass and i'd rather the communist party be in in power uh but i certainly he's certainly not what the u.s media is going to lie from being and regardless put the focus on nalvaney they're trying to put nalvaney in power nalvaney is a fucking fascist he would he would genocide uh especially muslim people but of course anybody that's that's not russian uh he he's a straight-up fascist and so if you want a white supremacist committing genocide then fine you know i mean that objectively you should support nalvaney and if you don't objectively you should be calling bullshit here yeah so again pretty pretty entry level high level overviews of these things not not going to do any real deep dives because i don't think they warrant them at this point mostly because we don't have any i don't yeah, i don't feel like yeah, we I have think, any in-depth I think research general- gone into this I was going to say, I think, I think the general context of like Belarus escapes people because they don't know that history as well as say Russia, whereas Russia, they, they know the history a little bit better. So we don't need the same deep dive, but they do need the context. I guess that, that Nalvaney's a fascist and don't, don't fall for that bullshit. And this is the color rep. Yep. There you go. That being said, we've taken eight minutes of your time to, to go over that kind of stuff. Let's talk about the book that we're here to read, which mm-hmm. is Black Reconstruction in America. We're starting on page 362, first, par- first main paragraph. While the committees were at work, James H. Harris addressed the convention. He was an astute and courageous Reconstruction leader of North Carolina and saw politics and labor in clear alliance. He stated that several millions of colored men were looking at the convention with much interest and that the South, having passed through a political reconstruction, needed another reconstruction in the affairs of the laboring classes. All right. I'm hearing you, Mr. Harris. I'm intrigued. John M. Langston spoke of the treatment of the Negroes in public places and at their work. He especially scored the Printers Union for its action towards Lewis H. Douglas, as we remember last time. Remarks were also made by Richard Trevelick and the president of the White National Labor Convention. Ooh, don't love that. Uh, And A.M. Powell, the editor of Anti-Slavery Standard. Better. The convention was permanent. <laughs> like that one a little bit more. A little bit better. A little bit better. I, I, I'm a fan of you. The convention was permanently organized with James H. Harris, James M. Harris, sorry, of North Carolina as president. Committees were appointed on education, finance, business, platform, and address, female labor, homesteads, travel, temperance, cooperative labor, bank savings, and agriculture. The platform of the convention covered what, the following subjects. Hmm? Wait, before we get there, what is temperance in this? this context Temp- temperance uh, a committee assume- a committee on temperance the temperance movie this was we were ramping up te- i'm pretty sure temperance was ramping up big time during this time that was the the prelude to really? prohibition yeah when do we put oh, prohibition in place okay 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 yeah yeah because yeah. prohibition was the 19 teens and 1920s 1920s yeah i feel like it was like the late 18 uh, we can look at we can we can you know what all right hit 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 the music do do we're getting sued uh prohibition 1920 to 1933 okay yeah so this is the late 1860s you got to assume that the build-up for something like that as a social movement was was gaining steam yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. and temperance was definitely a big a big thing they they were all okay um platform of the convention covered the following subjects the dignity of labor a plea that harmony should prevail between labor and capital. Mm, 
It's quite a plea there. That's quite a plea. That feels like that feels like that dumb political cartoon I see all the time of like the penny farthing bike where it's like, no, too much labor. And then the other penny farthing bike where it's like, no, too much capital. And then it's like both of them together. It's like neoliberalism rocks. Am I the only one that knows that cartoon? Y'all know that cartoon. You've been on the yeah, internet. You've, you've seen it. Uh, the desirability. The a lot. I've never seen that cartoon. I'll follow. Like, it'll be. It'll be the album art for this one. Uh, there we the go. Desirability of an interchange of views between employers and employees. Temperance in liquor consumption. See, told you. Uh, education ah, okay. for educated labor. Education for educated labor is far more productive and commands higher wages. Political liberty for all Americans. The encouragement of industry, the exclusion from the trades and workshops regarded as an insult to God, injury to us, the exclusion from the trades and workshops regarded as insult to God. All right. I'm I'm with it. Nine immigrant labor should be welcome, but labor and there's a there's a possible slur in here that we're avoiding just because I'm not 100 percent sure anything that refers to. The, and again, it was referring, it's a term that refers to the laborers from, uh, Southeast Asia and Chinese laborers in specific. Um, it's saying that that kind of labor is an injury to all working classes. And so it's weird to say that immigrant labor should be welcomed, but labor from this particular group of immigrants shouldn't be. Um, mm-hmm. again, if you're reading the book, you can see it and determine. I just don't, I don't ever want, I want to always err on the side of caution, especially on, uh, on anytime you're grouping a group together and not just calling them by who they are. I'm, I'm going to assume you're going to say some slurs. Yeah. Um, so we're just going to leave that one out. Um, the establishment of cooperative workshops, building and loan associations, 11 gratitude to the agencies interested in Negro education, 12 protection of the law for all 13, the organization of working men's associations, which should cooperate with the national labor union 14 capital must not be regarded as the natural enemy of labor, man. You should have started with that. And I would have just skipped the whole dang paragraph. Uh, been real easy to we just would have say, never gotten into the ethnic slurs. It'd have been really good to just avoid that whole, that whole string of reading. At the third day session, a special committee of five was appointed to draft a plan for the organization of mechanics and artisans in order to secure recognition for them in the workshops of the workshops of the country. Langston addressed the meeting concerning his observations in the South. There he had found skilled workers among the Negroes in gold, silver, brass, iron, wood, brick, mortar, and the arts. Every, everything. So everything. Um, he yeah, stated all, that all, all of it. All of it stated that all these workmen were asking for for themselves and their children was that the trade should be open to them and that no avenue of industry should be closed, whether in workshops, printing offices, factories, foundries, railroads, steamboats, warehouses or stores. On the fifth day, a resolution was passed, which urged the delegates to call and organize state labor associations so that they might work in full cooperation with a committee which was to conduct its work as a labor bureau. This bureau was planned to serve as a clearinghouse for all questions of Negro labor and was to aid in opening new labor organizations. Isaac Myers was selected permanent president of the organization, and in his acceptance, he stated that he expected to rely upon the labor bureau in reaching the Negro working men of the United States. It is interesting to note that this convention was more representative of the large group of the, than the first general convention, and it deserves for this reason, as well as for its work, to be called the first organized national group of Negro laborers. Many political and religious leaders were not present in its sessions. These absentees included Douglas, Garnett, William, Wells Brown, Purvis, and Whipper. The definite results of this meeting included the organization of a permanent national labor union and a bureau of labor. Before the sessions were ended, it was stated that there were 23 state rep- states represented and 203 accredited delegates in attendance during the period of the five days. The American working man of Boston called attention to the fact that this separate Negro organization had been formed and the writer said, the convention of colored men at Washington last week was in some respects the most remarkable one we ever attended. We had always had full faith in the capacity of the Negro for self-improvement, but there were not prepared to see fresh from, but were not prepared to see fresh from slavery, a body of 200 men so thoroughly conversant with public affairs, so independent in spirit and so anxious apparently to improve their social condition as the men who represented the South in that convention we were boston, not ready for black people to show off that they were human i was about to say boston good work with the backhanded compliments look it out good, yeah, good job I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> they're so articulate Thanks, boston. Or something. 
Thanks, boss. Whatever it is. Yep. Yeah. There were some white fraternal delegates present at La- and Langston attacked them as emissaries of the Democratic Party. But Sella Martin replied and told the convention plainly that they could not afford to repel the sympathy of white friends of the labor cause. And that the interests of the laboring class, white and black, on this continent were identical. Of presiding officer, writer in the American Workingman says, and here we feel impelled to say that in our all our experience to, to in tumultuous public assemblies, we have never seen a presiding officer show more executive ability than Mr. Harris. And certainly he does not owe it to white blood, and he is evidently a full-blooded Negro. So far as color and features are any evidence of being so, the success was largely owing, we think, to the fact that he possessed the entire confidence of the convention, as well as a superior ability for the position. So American working man, these black people again. can be skilled. Wow. I didn't have my calipers <laughs> on me, but he appeared to be a full-blooded Negro. Thank you, American that's working right. man. Thank you. That's that's great. I was that's- I was not versed in this particular individual's blood quantum. That's but what I, was uh, about to say. <laughs> I don't think he's got a drop of white blood in him. This is shocking to me. <laughs> He is sorry that a separate union has been formed, but we are convinced that for the present at least, they could not do better. It is useless to attempt to cover up the fact that there is still a wide gulf between the two races in this country, and for a time at least, they must each in their own way work out a solution for this labor problem. At no very distant day, they will become united and work in harmony together, and we who have never felt the iron as have as they, as they have. have There we go. Must be slow to condemn them because they do not see as we do on this labor movement. For ourselves, we should have felt better satisfied had they decided to join the great national movement now in progress. But fresh as they are from slavery, looking as they naturally do on the Republican Party as their deliverers from bondage, it is not strange that they should hesitate joining any other movement. Although they did not distinctly recognize any party in their platform, yet the sentiment was clearly Republican if their speeches were any indication. Still strange as it may seem, parties were ignored in their platform, and this course was taken mainly through the influence of votes of Southern delegates. The resolutions of this body stressed education as one of the strongest safeguards of the Republic, advocated industrious habits, and the learning of trades and professions. He declared that the exclusion of colored men and apprentices from the right to labor in any department of industry and workshops in any of the states and territories in the United States by what is known as trades unions is an insult to God, injury to us, and disgrace to humanity. While we extend a free and welcome hand to the free immigration of labor of all nationalities, we emphatically deem imported contract yep, that Asian back. labor to be positive to be a positive injury to the working people of the United States. Is but the system of slavery a new form, and we appeal to the Congress of the United States to rigidly enforce the Act of 1862 prohibiting Asian labor again, importations, and to enact such laws as will best protect free American labor against this or any similar form of slavery. This is an interesting. This is really interesting to me because it feels. Hmm. Am I? It's am, weird because it's like if I'm reading this correctly, there's a convention of black laborers who, yeah. of course, you know, influenced by the Republican Party because that was the only Republican Party that, that cared about them being human. Yeah. Was saying, you know, we should collaborate with capital and we should stay away from immigrant labor, specifically Asians, even though they, they just faced oppression themselves. Um, yeah. And that's what are otherwise it, saying the right things and need to be listened to. And it's, it's and nasty. That's, does it feel like does it feel like pulling the ladder up? Am I am I wrong to say that it feels like pulling the ladder up to a certain extent that it's like, all right, now we it, have a shot. We don't want. We don't want the competition does, from outside. labor. What, and again. Considering that's oh, no, what white labor did them, I don't think that's the case. I think it's more just influence from environment. Um, I think the same white labor that pulled the ladder up against them has obviously pushed out non-white immigrant labor. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, seeing as these laborers are not like, you know, out on the railroads, seeing these conditions, um, you know, because they, again, Westward expansion was a big part of, of, uh, where the Asian immigrant labor went and the oh, yeah, conditions the were brutal. Sure. I mean, these people would, 
be immediately be able to recognize that that kind of treatment they call it similar to slavery i mean they're they're comparing that form of contract labor to slavery and they're trying to say we need to enforce it to outlaw it so i i don't know that's where i'm saying is i don't so the, are they the language yeah, and the way I'm so maybe they're just using the yeah maybe it's just the language maybe just because it's the, the slurish language but they're actually but they're just using it because it's the language at the time maybe they're actually saying that that these these conditions are abhorrent and we should oppose the the abuse yeah. of of the Asian labor. I think it could be read either way, and I think I'm going to err again on the side of that's that's again, why this we is have context, and we're trying to figure this out with the, the full that, context. Exactly. So again, this is just this is one of those things where if I was reading it by myself, it would I would be a little confused. So I think it's worth kind of slowing down yeah. on that one. But I think that's good. I think that's a good yeah. explanation. Thank you. Yeah, cool. Um, they recommend the establishment of cooperative workshops, building and loan associations, the purchase of land as a remedy against their exclusion from other workshops on account of color, as a means of furnishing employment, as well as protection against the aggression of capital, and as the easiest and shortest method of enabling every man to procure a homestead for his family. And to accomplish this end, we particularly impress the greatest importance on the observance of diligence in business and the practice of rigid economy and our social social and domestic uh, arrangements. Obviously this, this episode has been a font of stopping for context, but you're noticing a pattern here. And we talked about this before this comes with every liberation. I mean, obviously we've seen this, you know, all the communist countries, right. Where it's, you know, redistribution of, of wealth and education literacy is a huge push. And of course, healthcare, but that wasn't thought of, you know, the same way in the the 19th century. um, No, (laughs) but healthcare would be like getting your humors imbalanced and, and, you know, aspirin and uppers and some shit um but <laughs> um but anyway you know you see this this recurring pattern again of education and of having the means of subsistence in the workers hands uh so in socialist movements that was you know having the means of production access collectively and of course expanded literacy and here it's education 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 get the black you know formerly enslaved uh class into these public funded schools and then give them little homesteads, give them the means in order to farm for themselves in order to do the work they need to do. And and, and so it's not like collective means of production, but it's along the same lines. So that's the pathway to liberation. Anytime is controlling your labor and being educated. Mm -hmm. They're almost always, they go, they go hand in hand. You see it. I mean, Cuba, you hear Parenti talk about all the time, the, literacy and healthcare yeah. advances that are made in, in mm-hmm. socialist countries. It's a huge sticking point that he brings up every time he starts you want to defend these places because again you can it's empirical. It's not something it's not anecdotal. It's you can look yeah. at the liter at literacy rates of these countries and just watch them, you know, you know, pre revolution and then post revolution you just watch them skyrocket kind of a thing. Like there there's something to yeah. that and it makes for again, I think they said it, you know, an educated labor force is a more it, they demand higher wages, they're more protected, they're they're better able to to well, negotiate all of these things. And it lends to people being controlled because obviously whenever the masses are liberated, the first thing they tend to ask for is education. They ask for their needs, right? Make sure we have food, make sure we have the tools for our labor so we can have, I can have a job, a stable, steady job, Mm -hmm. make sure we're educated like that. That's what the masses ask for. And of course, you know, in in modern times, not healthcare exists over the last century plus, make sure we have healthcare, you know, and that the masses are going, if you're giving what people inherently would demand in a vacuum, you're probably meeting the demands of the people. You're probably actually run by the people's power. Yeah. And, and you see that time and time again, and you're seeing that here. Resolved that we regard education as one of the greatest blessings. Man, I should just sometimes go ahead and just keep reading. Uh, <laughs> that the, that the no, human family enjoys. I, I think it's just a sign that we're okay at this. <laughs> Occasionally. That's true. That's- That's true. (laughs) And that we earnestly appeal to our fellow citizens to allow no opportunity, no matter how limited and remote, to pass unimproved. That the thanks of of the colored people of this country is due to the Congress of the United States for established and maintenance, the Freedmen's Bureau, and to Major General Howard, Commissioner Reverend J.W. Alvord, and John M. Langston, General Inspectors, for their cooperative labors in in the establishment of a good government of hundreds of schools in the Southern States, whereby thousands of men, women, and children have been, and now are being taught the rudiments of an English education. 
We appeal to the friends of progress and to our citizens of several states to continue their efforts to the various legislatures until every state can boast of having a free school system with no distinction in dissemination of knowledge to its inhabitants on account of race, color, sex, creed, or previous condition. And notice how broad that is there, too. So That's I mean, the, very broad. I must say, really, they include... Yeah. They include sex in there, which I think is interesting because that feels like something that still hasn't wasn't being brought up yet to this point. That um, Yeah. It, well, and they they include they include creed in and this is a largely Christian group and a largely Christian country. So if they're singling out creed there, it means not just Christianity, of course. Yeah. This is not Europe where like the Protestants versus the Catholics happen. It's it's, you know, Christianity no matter how many denominations there are. Versus everybody else. That's just how it is in yeah. America. So that's pretty telling too. And it kind of lends back to that, you know, the, the, the Asian labor slur that I'm, I think we're rightly not saying, uh, just being a language of the time and them actually advocating yeah. against the conditions of the railroads, which like we said, you know, I mean, just more context kind of enlightens that. I agree. Um, the low wages of the labor in the South were cited. And according to the New York Tribune, December 11th, 1869, it was said, To remedy this, labor must be made more scarce, and the best way to do that was to make laborers landowners. Congress is to be asked, therefore, to subdivide the public lands in the South into 20-acre farms to make one year's residence entitle a settler to a patent and also to a place in the hands of a commission, a sum of money, not exceeding $2 million. That's a lot of fucking money. Their settlement... Oh, I guess for the the broad people, I yeah, still in the individual. Not per person. I was like, damn, (laughs) not exceeding two million dollars to aid the settlement, and also to purchase lands in states where no public lands are found. The money to be loaned for five years without interest. Congress will also be asked not to restore Southern railroads, the lapsed land grants of 1856, and require that Texas, prior to the readmission representation, shall put her public lands under the operations provisions similar to the United States Homestead Law of 1866. So again, a little more context that makes us think that that they were standing up for yeah. the Asian laborers, not trying to exclude them. I agree. Uh, Mr. Mr. Downing, Downing from oh. the Committee on Capital and Labor submitted the following. Your committee would simply refer to the unkind, estranging policy of the labor organizations of white men who, while they make loud proclamations as to the injustice, as they allege, to which they are subjected, justify injustice so far as giving an example to do so many by excluding from their benches and their workshops worthy craftsmen and apprentices only because of their color for no just cause. We say to such, so long as you persist therein, we cannot fellowship with you in your struggle and look for failure and mortification on your part. Not even the sacred name of Wendell Phillips can save you. However much we revere him and cherish toward him, not only profound respect, but confidence and gratitude. In February 1870, the Bureau of Labor issued an address to the colored people, which stressed the need for of organizing Negro labor and that the lack of organization was the cause of low wages. All right. It's stated yeah, with this. I like it. It stated the following purposes of the Colored National Labor Union and the Bureau of Labor. One, to encourage and superintend the organization of labor. Two, to bring about legislation which would secure equality before the law for all and enforce the contracts for labor. Three, to secure funds from bankers and capitalists for aid in establishing cooperative associations. Four, to overcome the opposition of white mechanics who exclude workers from their unions and shops. Five, to organize state labor conventions. Six, to organize where there were seven or more mechanics, artisans, and laborers of any particular branch of industry, separate labor associations, and to advertise their labor in the daily papers. Seven, to encourage independent effort in creating capital buying tools, building houses, forging iron, making brick. Eight, to own a homestead. The address was signed by Isaac Myers, president, and G.T. Downing, vice president. Local organizations were formed, meetings held, and a weekly paper, The New Era, was made the national organ. On February 21st, a plan was adopted to send an agent south to organize Negro labor. Isaac Myers, president of the union, was selected. He held a meeting in Norfolk, Virginia, tar urging the union of white and colored workmen in the same trade. Other labor meetings took place in 1870 in New York and the District of Columbia. The second annual meeting of the National Labor Union took place on January 9, 1871, with delegates from North and South, including Alabama, Virginia, Texas, and North Carolina. 
Congress was partitioned for a national system of education with technical training. The convention desired to see industries and factories because the South was confined to a few staples, which created ignorance and poverty among both white and colored laborers, and among the owning classes fear that industry would help elevate the status of the laborer. The next annual meeting of the National Labor Union was called at Columbia, South Carolina, coincidental with the Southern Convention, which was the political gathering. Here there began to appear rivalry between the economic and political objects of the Negro. The new era, national organ of the National Labor Union, inquired into the real objects of this meeting. It wanted to know if the union was another name for communism. Oh, no. Or if it was a a colored offshoot of the international, which intended eventually to impose a mobocracy on America. Now, hold on. What year? 1871? Mm-hmm. The International was happening in 1871. Okay. First International. Okay. This was this was still Karl Marx days. This was this way is, before Lenin. All right, this, yeah. The this, International was happening. All right, all right. This, this is was, this is interesting. Yeah. Well, it's just interesting that they're so worried about offshoots of communism, but you have Karl Marx sending letters to Andrew Johnson. Like, it's, yeah. it's still a, <laughs> it's, it's just, it's a little stark to see it pop up. The convention at Columbia was presided over by H.M. Turner of Georgia. Committees were organized on education and labor, on printing, finance, civil rights, organization, immigration, and on Southern outrages. The committee on the address made a report which called for political rights, justice, protection of the courts, and advancement in the industrial arts. In 1872, in April, a Southern States Convention assembled at New Orleans with Frederick Douglass presiding. Evidently, the National Labor Union was steadily becoming political in its influence and leadership. Efforts were made to show that Negro labor could only achieve its end by political organization. Frederick Douglass wrote an editorial to this effect and concluded with the words, The Republican Party is the true working men's party of the country. This sounded strange for the North, but it was at the time true of the South. The National Labor Union issued an address to its state's unions, saying that while it was not a political organization, it regarded it as a duty of every colored man to be interested in the Republican Party and stand by it. By its success, we stand. By its defeat, we fall. To that party, we are indebted for the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, the Homestead Law, the Eight-Hour Law. Ho now, ho now. (laughs) Uh, I know some other people that you're indebted to for that Eight-Hour Law, sir, Uh, and they threw bombs (laughs) at cops. Um, just Just be careful there. Um, and an improved educational system. The presidents of the state labor unions were directed to read this address before their organizations. As the Negroes moved from unionism toward political action, white labor in the North not only moved in the opposite direction from political action to union organization, but also evolved the American blind spot for the Negro in his problems. It lost interest and vital touch with Southern labor and acted as though the millions of laborers in the South did not exist. The labor went into the Great War of 1877 against northern capitalists unsupported by the black man. And the black man went his way in the south to strengthen and consolidate his power unsupported by northern labor. Suppose for a moment that northern labor had stopped the bargain of 1876 and maintained the power of the labor vote in the south. And suppose that the Negro, with new dawning consciousness of the demands of labor as differentiated from the demands of capitalists, had used his vote more specifically for the benefit of white labor south and north. If the basic problem of Reconstruction in the South was economic, then the kernel of the economic situation was the land. This was clear to the sophisticated leadership of Stevens and to the philanthropy of Sumner and Oliver. Howard, oh, and Oliver Howard. But it was equally clear to the ignorant and inexperienced of the freed slaves. Because they knew their situation. Well, yeah, yeah. The Northern labor leaders and the mass of the North were slow in realizing that the center of the South's labor problem was the land and not as yet industry. Here in the South, after the war, was a chance to keep the economic balance between farm and factory. And if it had been done, the result would have been the fateful would have been fateful for the nation and for the world. The Negro unrearingly and insistently led the way unerringly and insistently led the way. Sorry. The main question to which the Negroes returned again and again was the problem of owning land. It was ridiculed as unreasonable and unjust to the impoverished landholders of the South and as a part of the desire for the revenge which the North had. But in essence, it was nothing of the sort. Again and again, crudely but logically, the Negroes expressed their right to the land and the deep importance of this right. And as usual here, the government played fast and loose because it had two irreconcilable ideas in mind. Thaddeus Stevens and Charles Sumner were perfectly clear. The Negroes must have land furnished for them either for a nominal sum or as a gift. And this land should be furnished by the government and paid for either out of taxation or, as Stevens repeatedly insisted, as an indemnity placed on the South for civil war. 
Moreover, for 250 years, the Negroes had worked on this land, and by every analogy in history, when they were emancipated, the land ought to have belonged in large part to the workers. On the other hand, to organized industry of the North, capital in machines or land was sacred. They did not wish to appear to punish the South by taking any more of it already partly confiscated by taking any more of its partly confiscated capital. They did not want to set an example of confiscation before a nation victimized by monopoly, and they were bitterly opposed to giving capital to workers or redistributing wealth by public taxation. The result was that the nation moved backward and forward according to one or the other idea gained the according to as to one or the other idea gained the upper hand. Sir George Gregory Campbell Sir George Campbell said, David, I'm running out of words in my mouth. Go. Yeah, okay. Sir George Campbell said, all that is all that is now wanted to make the Negro a fixed and conservative element in American society is to give him encouragement to and facilities for making himself by his own exertions a small landowner to do, in fact, for him what we have sought to do for the Irish farmer. Land in America is so much cheaper and more abundant that it would be infinitely easier to effect the same object there. I would by no means seek to withdraw the whole population from hired labor. On the contrary, the Negro in many respects is so much at his best in that function that he should look to a large class of laborers remaining. But I'm at the same time confident that it would be a very great benefit and stability to the country if a large number should acquire thrift and independent position as land-owning American citizens. Most writers and speakers thought that of the land problem so far as the Negro was concerned as an incidental thing. It was something that would come. On the other hand, the former slaveholders knew that the land was key to the situation and they tried desperately to center thought on labor rather than on land ownership. One universal opinion is that they shall not be allowed to acquire or hold land. I've heard that expressed from the first. They say that unless Negroes work for for them they shall not work at all uh now that's a pretty insightful thing that that i think we should focus on there is they, they talk about and, and we we talk about it's you know one of the unspoken things of course going on here and they talk, they're saying like land is cheap and abundant is that land came from somewhere it was uh-huh. somebody's it, yeah <laughs> and they got this, pushed this, off uh-huh. so, oh go ahead no no and, i was just gonna so, say that is that that's that's the point here is that that even though we're you always look at it, and again, Du Bois. I don't think Du Bois is guilty of this. I don't even think it's a it's a thing to 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 be critical of. But no. when you're talking, because he's not making a value judgment on it, he's just saying what they were saying at the time. But when you say land is cheap and abundant, yes. uh, no, <laughs> you're you're missing another yeah. group that you've dispossessed of their land, and I would have you remember them. Yes, but that I mean that's the whole point is is there's something really revealing here, I and mean, we think of it as revealing because in the context it was very obviously true because the society was so agrarian um, coming off the Confederacy, but it's not really that, that labor is, is the valuable thing. Of course, labor is the source of value and labor can be a source of power. And this is exactly why, you know, so many communist revolutions rise out of the working class because of the power of labor. But what's truly important, what truly gives you power is capital and an enormous, enormous stepping stone capital. The reason that capitalism grew out of colonialism, the reason that colonialism is the primary contradiction, the reason we say land back, the reason that within land back, we still support a, a black nationalist uh, nation of New Africa um, is because the land is what's key. The land is what's valuable. Yep. And if you're, if you're not, you know, if, if it's stripped of the land, right? If you're just saying is labor powerful, is labor important, is labor valuable? Of course. But when you're just uh, juxtaposing it to land, the land is power. Controlling the land allows you to define the economy on that land, allows you to distract, extract the natural resources of that land. That is capital. Um, that allows you to be the literal landlord, even if someone else is the capitalist on that land, so that you are reaping the benefits of that labor anyway. The land is the key to power. Spoiler alert for Redskins white masks, guys. It's coming. (laughs) (laughs) The freed slaves were desperately poor. The poor whites had always been poor, except insofar as they were pensioners of the planters. How could industry be set going again? And what was the retaliation? What was the relation of free Negro labor to this industry? Of course, the full realization of freedom could not be accomplished in a minute. Unless crops were raised and the wheels of industry started, emancipation would not have been 
an experiment so costly that no nation could have supported it. And we must remember that in the end, and as a logical matter of dollars and cents, emancipation paid. This is so much that a matter this is so much a matter of common knowledge today that we forget how bitterly and with what absolute certainty the South and even many in the North declared that free Negro was economically impossible. <laughs> what they insisted on during – I mean this is, just, just it's think, so much cheaper when we don't have to pay our workers. Well, no, 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 no. But they're saying that emancipation was a lucrative – a lucrative tool it did pay it was a thing and so they're yeah. saying don't listen to it's they say it's crazy now how much we recognize that emancipation obviously was a lucrative thing for a lot mm-hmm. of people but at the time they were saying it's impossible you can't do it you the, these are these are these are pie in the sky dreams don't even think about it and my my again just tying it forward to today i think the most common and obvious parallel to that would be uh uh healthcare. The concept that, I, that, that nationalized free healthcare is impossible and pie in the sky and oh my god, how will we afford it? When every every study, every statistic in the, under the sun says it will save you infinite money in the long run and be more lucrative for you. It's just who you're going to have to restructure your society and the people who are entrenched in that system do not want to do that. No, because it comes right out of their pocket. But um, also, you know, he, the 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 parallel i'm really seeing you know and another parallel to draw from this that is not where i'm going but you know of course this is uh imperialism right and and it, for the, the the weapons manufacturers and things it, it pays war pays right and that's why the the web the the machine keeps chugging but the gen- general society it would pay not to have um such you know powerful imperialism because we would be destroying the earth and that's going to be costly to, to yeah. face our own heat death. Um, but a much better, not a better, but a, no, a no. much, an already cited. Um, and when I say already cited, I mean, already cited in a formal uh, uh, work, right? An already cited example is prisons. And I say that specifically because when you're putting it that way and I, I correcting mm. my misreading, uh, the way you read it sounds exactly like chapter, it's either chapter one or chapter two. I think it's chapter one, uh, of Angela Davis's, our prisons, obsolete, our prisons obsolete where she's, yeah, where she's specifically talking about, well, you know, it was pie in the sky. It was impossible for, for, you know, abolition of slavery until it happened. It yeah. was, you know, impossible to end Jim Crow laws until it happened. Um, As always, so you impossible. have a much more direct and obvious example already. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's going to be impossible to to abolish prisons until it happens. Um, you know, and then the point of that is is both that prison abolition is not impossible, and we should know that, and also that we have to be sure as we work on the project of prison abolition. And you can already see it in you know, reshaping itself in, in forms of rehabilitation and parole and things like that is as we abolish prisons, we don't just stage it to the next reinvention. We actually abolish it this time. too. Uh-huh. So that, that's kind of a twofold sentiment and a very, very important um, beginning of that book. And it fits exactly what, what Du Bois just said. Yeah. What they insisted on reconstruction was labor, continuous, steady labor to continue production of high-priced crops. What they slurred over or refused to discuss was the object of this labor and the distribution of its product, of labor for the economic benefit of the labor except to the extent of the lowest possible wage that would sustain him, they had no conception, and to any transfer of capital in land to the labor as a basis of right of demand, a fair share of products, they were bitterly opposed." The white Southern believed that it was being deliberately insulted in a petty spirit of vengeance by the North, but this was a childish way of attributing human emotions to an economic situation. The North as a whole harbored no thoughts of vengeance. Sumner wrecked his career on a deed of forgiveness, and Stevens punished the slave system and its promoters only insofar as they still interfered with freedom or kept the ill-gotten capital accumulated by exploiting slaves. The Party of Northern Industry watched the beginnings of democratic government in the South with distrust. They did not expect Negro suffrage to succeed, but they did expect that it would soon compel the the Southern Southern oligarchy to capitulate to the dictatorship of industry. Their hopes were fulfilled in 1876. 
The abolition democracy the abolition faced democracy the southern- faced. Yes, go keep going. No, you go ahead. That's fine. The abolition democracy faced the Southern conventions of 1867 with fear. It was the greatest test of the democracy that the nation had known. Even after the Great Reform Bill of 1832, England had less than one million voters. It was not until 1867 that a million or more skilled laborers in England got the vote. Here, at the stroke of the pen, more than one million Negroes were given the right to vote, of whom probably three-fourths could not read or write. And at the same time, more than one million whites were given the same right, and at least one-third of them were equally illiterate. This was a desperate venture forced by a slave-minded regime. It had refused to grant complete physical freedom to black workers. It refused them education and access to the land and insisted on dominant political power based on the number of these same serfs. Under these circumstances, the experiment had to be made. For to surrender now was to give sacrifice, was to have sacrificed blood and billions of dollars in vain. But it was the American blind spot that made the experiment all the more difficult and to the South incomprehensible. For several generations, the South had been taught to look upon the Negro as a thing apart. He was different from other human beings. The system of slave labor under which he was employed was radically different from all other systems of labor. There could be no comparison between the labor problems in the South and in the North, between the Negro and white laborer. It must be confessed that the representatives of the white oligarchy are having a hard time being forced to consider their own former slaves no longer as Negroes, hard and slur that is to say members of a category unrecognized in any natural history somewhere between men and monkeys in the animal scale but as men who have as jefferson phrased it equal rights with them in the free development of their talents and in the pursuit of happiness or in the words of or in other words as citizens on equal footing with themselves the northern democrats encouraged resistance on the part of the south and yet some of them saw the situation clearly The intrinsic difficulties of the situation are not to be denied. The ruling classes of the Southern people have attempted to disrupt the Union in order to establish their own independence. The overthrow of their armies had not changed their opinions nor their feelings. Necessity compelled their submission, but necessity could not make them love a Union with which the victorious victorious North, nor make them cordially recognize and support the rights of the freedmen. You could say that again. They did not even give a shit that they lost. Nope. During the winter and spring of 1867 to 68, in accordance with the legislation of Congress, Southern conventions met and adopted new constitutions. These constitutions provided for equal civil rights, established universal suffrage, and disenfranchised disloyal whites. After the framing of these constitutions, they were voted on by the people. Also, state officers and members of the legislature were chosen at the same election and by the same voters. The army commanders did their best to bring out the vote and to counteract various devices for keeping Negroes away from the polls. The polls were kept open two and three days, and in Georgia, even five days. Hey, look at you, Georgia. Officials of the Freedmen's Bureau helped in the enforcement of the Reconstruction Acts. The Act of March 23rd provided that registration and elections should be conducted by boards of three loyal officers or persons appointed by the district commander. They were required to take the ironclad oath. Bureau officials were often appointed as members of these boards, and Negroes were often used. The Bureau officials advised Negroes about the registration and voting and disabused their minds in fear of fears of taxation or military service or re-enslavement. They promised to protect them in the case of a boycott of employers against those that voted. Thus, in 1867, there took place in the South a series of elections in which a new electorate registered and expressed its desire to constitutional conventions to reconstruct the states. 1,363,640 persons voted, of whom 660,000 181 were whites and 703,459 were Negroes. As compared with the total votes of 721,191 vote whites voting in 1860. We're going to we stop are not there. Reading the charts. Yeah, we are going <laughs> to stop there for this week because next up are a bunch of charts and we will list where those pages are um, at the start of next episode for anyone who is following along or isn't following along but wants to go see the numbers um, because there we're about to have some... Uh, we're about to have some charts, people, some charts and graphs, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and and nobody wants that. I know you. No one, no one wants me to be reading that. So, uh, you're welcome. That being said, uh, David, anything to close out on for for this episode? Um, no, I uh, I think we covered it pretty well, and and obviously, the voice always covers it well. So, the voice always covers it well. Shout out to Doctor Du Bois. Um. 
That being said, um, this has been Mark's Madness Pod, and there are a number of different ways that you can reach out to us if you would like to do so. Um, first way you can reach out to us is via email. It's marksmadnesspod at gmail.com. Um, feel free to, to shoot us anything that way if you have any any feelings or anything like that you'd want to express. Um, next up, you can get us on Twitter. Our Twitter is at marksmadnesspod on Twitter. Um, DMs are open if you need those. Um, we're there. We mostly just retweet the episodes, <laughs> but you know, we're, we're there if you need us. Um, last and final way that you can, uh, reach out to us or get involved or just find a place to hang out is you can join our Discord. We have the Mark's Madness Pod Discord. It's the old dumb and awful Discord that we've been a part of for over a year now, at least. Um, we, we, same, same great taste, same great flavor, just new coat of paint. Um, but yeah, we are in there talking. There is a book club. <laughs> That's how I like my soda, new coat of paint. New coat of paint. Um, you know, Pepsi Clear, the Discord. <laughs> um, there is a book club starting inside our Discord. Sh- shocking. <laughs> the book, the, the podcast about books has a book club starting within it. Um, but they are, they should be underway at this point. But if you want to jump in, I'm sure everyone is more than welcome to accommodate. But right now they are working on, uh, black shirts and reds. Um, which I, I know me and David both highly endorse. So if you, if that's something you want to get involved with or you want to, you want to find a read, you know, you're looking for a group that, that meets and reads this, that, Hey, if you only join for that, they're, they're there and they're working. Um, but otherwise it's just a good time. We're, we're playing Final Fantasy. We're hanging out. We're, we're having a good time. Um, other than that, David, I think it's a disclaimer week. And if it's not, it's a disclaimer week now because I'm putting you on the spot. So disclaimer, sir. <laughs> Boy, thanks for that. Uh, anyway, obviously, this uh, podcast started as one where me and Nathan just decided to read a book together. And it was a big, big, hard one. It was capital. And obviously, you're going to read any kind of theory and discuss with a group. And since our group was only two, we decided, well, hell, we'll record it. Maybe we'll make it more. And then we did. And uh, since that idea, the hope of recording it and sharing it with you and eventually becoming a podcast was that hopefully you guys are in your own reading groups, um, not just Discord book club, uh, obviously, you know, hey happy to have that, but uh, have people out, uh, you know, organizing in, in parties and, and different groups and, and doing reading groups and political education. Hopefully you're reading these works and we could be another point of context, another voice, another addition uh, to that reading group to help further understand and, and take in uh, what you can and what you need from the work. Uh, say for that, say your reading group, your political education is reading shorter works or, or other works. Um, hopefully then we can be your reading group and, and just do a little, little three person thing there uh, uh, along with you reading the same work along with us. And save for that, if uh, you're not reading it on your own um, because say you, you struggle with that or don't have access to the book, uh, whether we're more of an enhanced ebook, like we are with this book, reading word for word, or where we kind of summarize and, and deliver uh, the understanding and quotes from books as we've done in some other works, whatever we can do to make this work more accessible to you and make sure this work is a baseline for work you're doing out there for agitation, for providing for needs, any kind of organization and political education you do out there, use this as a baseline and all those actions out there that's praxis and without theory the praxis is rudderless it can guide you either nowhere or the wrong way or simply be an aimless act of charity but with theory tied to it and it becoming actual praxis theory in action as it is intended to be all of a sudden it's revolutionary work and the theory has a purpose because without praxis the theory is nothing they are tied at the hip amen as always uh that being said this has been mark's madness pod we read books uh we will talk to you all next week my name is nathan my name's david Mm, bye bye